Praise the Lord. This is Brother Phil with another edition of Speaking the Truth in Love. Today we've got a fascinating message for you entitled The Amazing Spiritual Secrets of Salt. It was 2,000 years ago that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5, You are the salt of the earth. What did Jesus mean by that? And how is that relevant to our lives today? The answers are fascinating. We now, 2,000 years after Jesus spoke those words, know a lot more about the chemical compositions of salt and their applications than they did 2,000 years ago. And every one of those applications is symbolic of a spiritual truth that defines your role as a believer on this planet. So please, stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. This is really exciting stuff. Without any further ado, I challenge you and encourage you to listen prayerfully to today's message. Here it comes. God bless you. Today our text is taken from Matthew 5.13, where Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So what did Jesus mean? First of all, I'd like to tell you that salt is truly an amazing substance. It's made of two compounds, sodium and chloride. Sodium is a metal so dangerously unstable that it can burst into flames when exposed to water. Chlorine is a lethal gas. It can kill you. But if you put the two together, you have salt, which is essential to life. The ocean contains an estimated 40 million billion tons of salt. If the oceans evaporated, it is estimated that there would be enough salt left over to cover all of Great Britain to a depth of 50 miles high. Salt is used as a source of chlorine for chemical manufacturing, and chlorine is known as the workhorse chemical. It plays a major role in the manufacture of more than 14,000 products that we depend on every day, including computers and automobiles. Sodium chloride is essential for human life. Without salt, muscles won't contract, blood won't circulate, food won't digest, and the heart won't beat. It ensures the transmission of nerve impulses to and from the brain, your body needs about four ounces of salt, and the human body does not produce either sodium or chloride. It must be ingested from an external source. Salt comes from water, and it's mined in the earth. Salt corrodes metal, but it preserves food. It holds water, but it makes you thirsty. Salt is a rock but you can eat it. Salt is hard, but it softens water. So why does Jesus call us the salt of the earth? Here are seven spiritual truths about salt 
that define your role as an ambassador for Jesus Christ on this planet. And at the conclusion of this message, God willing, I will give you an eighth to tie it all together and apply it. First of all, you like salt. Number one, salt is a preservative. Salt purifies. They didn't have refrigerators back then, so salt was, salt was used to keep meat from putrefying. Salted meat could protect meat from decay for months, so salt was essential to life. Number two, salt burns. If you get salt in an open wound, you will be running for water. Do you know why men hate religion? Because it forces them to face things they don't want to face. The law of God, which defines what sin is, burns because it exposes the darkness and it promises judgment to those who reject it. But, conversely, salt, amazingly, also has healing properties. It's an antiseptic. It kills microorganisms. If you have a sore throat and you gargle with warm salt water, you will feel the healing effect immediately. Yes, the law of God burns, but the good news of God's grace, that is forgiveness for sin, brings healing. Number four, salt seasons. It's no coincidence that the first miracle of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of John was Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. The symbolism is inescapable. When Jesus comes into your life, when he shows up at your wedding, your wedding, your life goes from being simple, tepid water to being the finest, richest wine you've ever tasted in your life. It's a symbol of abundant living. You know, for a man to be satisfied, he needs three things. Somebody to love, something to do, and something to hope for. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, you become an ambassador for Jesus Christ, and you have been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation, and when your job is done, it's heaven. That's something to do, somebody to love, and something to hope for. Number five, salt penetrates. Salt is one of the few major compounds that dissolves equally well in hot or cold water. I have seen the law of God warm the coldest hearts, and I have seen the grace of God and the law of God cool the hottest sinners. One spoon of salt can penetrate an entire gallon of water, and it reminds me of how the twelve disciples were poured into this world, and their doctrine literally penetrated the entire planet. Number six, salt creates thirst. Ocean water contains seven times more salt than the human body can safely ingest. When a person drinks it, he actually becomes dehydrated because the kidneys demand extra water to flush the overload of salt. 
So the more salt water someone drinks, the thirstier he becomes. He actually dies of thirst. It reminds me of sin and the lust of the flesh. When people try to find satisfaction in sin, they become like the man trying to satisfy his thirst by drinking salt water. We know that the lust of the flesh is never satisfied. People search desperately for satisfaction. They see something that looks like what they want. They don't realize, however, that it is precisely the opposite of what they really need. Seventh, salt conducts electricity. If you've ever taken a high school chemistry class, you may be familiar with this simple experiment. Two ends of an electrical wire are attached to a light bulb. The other ends are submerged in a glass of water. Because water alone is not conductive, the bulb does not light up. But when you add a little bit of salt to the water, the bulb begins to glow. Salt conducts electricity. I ask you, my friend, is Christ in you causing anyone to thirst for what you have? Let's look again at Matthew 5.13. Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, I find this fascinating because strictly speaking, Sodium chloride is a stable compound. It has an indefinite shelf life. It does not lose its flavor. Now, since Jesus Christ's illustrations were perfect, I mean, after all, he, was the, he is the creator of the universe and everything in it. Jesus Christ created salt. He is the master chemist that can put sodium and chloride together and make it simple table salt. And we know today that sodium chloride does not lose its flavor. So what's the problem here? Is is there a mistake in the Bible? Well, we discover the answer to this dilemma when we look up the word which was translated in our English Bibles, it says, if the salt becomes tasteless. Well, that's what it says in your English Bible. But if you go back to the Greek, that word that was translated become tasteless can also mean fool, foolish, or to cause something to lose the purpose for which it was designed and for which it exists. Did you hear that? The word that was translated become tasteless. Since we know that salt does not become tasteless, it had to mean something else. So the better English translation would have been that you are the salt of the earth, but if you lose the purpose for which you were created, if you are not being and doing the things that you were created to do, the very reason that you exist, then you're good for nothing. 
good for nothing except to be trampled underfoot by men. Salt is not what you do, it's what you are. Now, here is the eighth application that I'd like to draw your attention to. Salt only works when it is brought into direct contact with another substance. Salt won't do anything all by itself. Salt only does these seven amazing things when it comes into contact with another substance. So, let me ask you, my friend, if Jesus said you are the salt of the earth, is your life impacting this world? Are you Is your life, is your Christian life, is your commitment to Christ, is your Christian walk acting as a preservative and or a purifier in this world? Is your life, is your Christian testimony, has it ever burned anyone? Have you ever shared the gospel, God's good news, that all men have sinned? And come short of the glory of God. Have Has anyone ever become angry with you because you told them what sin was? And in love told them that all men have sinned, including them? It burns. Because the obvious implication is that judgment is the result if they refuse to accept Christ. Have you brought healing? Does your life bring healing to other people's lives? Are you a person when someone needs prayer, for example? Are you a person that someone from your church would call and uh, have a prayer request? Are you a healing agent in your family and in your church and in your community? Fourth, does your life bring seasoning to other people's lives? Are you an agent of flavor? Fifth, have you penetrated your culture? With your Christian life, is your light so shining that men can see it and give glory to God, or is your light hidden so that no one knows? A city sent on a hill cannot be hidden. Do people know that you love the Lord? Are you penetrating the culture? Are you seasoning? Do you bring healing? Number six, do you create thirst? Is anybody can do do people look at your life and say what is it that you have Are you creating thirst in other people is Christ in you so attractive the joy the peace the power over sin the living the living with purpose has it ever caused anyone to ask you Share with me what it is. What is the secret that you have that I seem to be missing? Number seven, salt conducts electricity. Are you a conduit for the gospel of Jesus Christ? You know, in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus said that all the nations would be gathered before him, And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, even the least of them you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. My friend, while it is true, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, plus nothing. Our good works are the result of our salvation, never the cause of it. If your faith is genuine, it will result in a life of good works. You, too, will be a conduit of electricity. You will be a conduit of the gospel of Christ. In Matthew 25, the people that were received into the kingdom of God and the people that were rejected were accepted and rejected based on what they actually did. Their faith or lack of faith resulted in either a fruitful or an unfruitful life. It was Charles Haddon Spurgeon that said, If you don't have a passion to see other people get saved, you can be sure you're not saved yourself. Here's another quote from Spurgeon that I believe is profound. He said, A church which does not exist to do good in the slums of a city is a church that has no reason to justify its longer existence. Not for yourself, church, do you exist any more than Christ existed for himself. His glory was that he laid aside his glory, and the glory of the church is when she lays down her respectability and her dignity and counts it to be her glory to gather together the outcasts and her highest honor to seek amid the foulest mire the priceless jewels for which Jesus shed his blood. My friend, Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth, but he also said that we are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. The most amazing thing that the human mind can contemplate is God. And 2,000 years ago in 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says, God is light. 
2,000 years ago, we knew almost nothing about light. Today, we know that light is a form of energy. Light can be as harmless as a 25-watt light bulb, or it can be as deadly as a CO2 laser beam, which will cut the hardest steel like butter. The fastest phenomenon known to man in this universe is light, which travels at 186,234 miles per second. It appears colorless, but if we shine it through a prism, you see the brilliant display of seven primary colors, red, yellow, orange, green, blue, indigo, and purple. It's a refraction of the different wavelengths of light, and fascinating to me is the fact that in Revelation chapter 7, it speaks of the seven spirits of God. In 1 John 1, 5, the Bible says, And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. We also know that God's first act in creation was light. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. Light and darkness are metaphors for good and evil. Light is used as a symbol of holiness and purity. Proverbs 6.23 says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Over and again in the Bible, light is equated with purity and darkness with evil. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. In 1 Timothy 6.16, it says, Speaking of God, who, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. In Psalm 104, verse 2, it says, Covering thyself with light as a cloak, stretching out heaven like a curtain. We also know that lightning is used as a symbol of God's awesome power, majesty, and holiness. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 5, it says, And from the throne proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And finally, back to our text today, found in Matthew 5.14, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In 1 John, the Bible says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. My friend, I want to draw your attention to the urgency of the hour in which we live. Romans 13, beginning in verse 12, says, The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to regard its lusts. My friend, there is a desperate battle going on for untold thousands of years between the forces of darkness and the Prince of Peace, and the battle is for the souls of men. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are in the middle of the grandest, greatest spiritual warfare in the history of the universe. And it's about to come to a conclusion. And the last day is coming, burning like a furnace. The day of judgment, the day of the Lord is coming, burning like a furnace, and nothing can stop it. The day is almost here when we will stand before the living God and we will give an account for what we've said, for everything we've done, for everything we think. Do you want to experience victory in this spiritual warfare? Do you want to walk in victory and know what it's like to be free from the bondage of sin? That victory begins in your heart and in your mind by what you believe. My friend, you can be wrong about a lot of things, but if you're wrong about the doctrine of Jesus Christ and who he is, you are wrong enough to spend eternity separated from God in a real place called hell. I tell you this because I love you. The name of this program is Speaking the Truth in Love. The Bible says, Better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Would you like to know how to begin to experience the victorious life that Jesus speaks of? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, we read, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. My friend, every sin begins in the mind as a thought. The Bible says, Set your mind on things above, not on things below. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is eternal life through Jesus Christ. I'm speaking today in order to beg you to be reconciled unto God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says your sins have separated you from God. The Bible says all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. The wages of sin, wages, the wages, that's what you get paid at the end of the week. That's what you've earned. That's what you've deserved. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. 
All men have sinned against God. It wasn't the nails that held Christ to the cross. It was his love for you and me. And what is it that nailed Christ to the cross? Your sins and mine. When we stand before God, when we stand before the judgment bar of the living God, we are going to be charged with murdering the Son of the living God. While on one hand we murdered the Son of God by our sins, on the other hand, He came for the very purpose of dying for our sins. My friend, I'm out of time. I want to leave you with this thought. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. If you're born once, you're going to die twice. But if you're born twice, you're only going to die once. I beg you to call upon the name of the true and the living God. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, God says, You shall seek me and you shall find me when you seek me with all of your heart and all of your soul. God is not playing hide and go seek, but, the, but Satan wants to deceive you. Seek God with all of your heart. Look up to heaven. Cry out for truth. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And if you're sincere, he will reveal himself to you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. In Jesus' name, amen.